Welcome to My Life Chassidus Applied, episode 473. A continuation of our special Israel at War edition, which of course is front and center in our minds and our hearts. Hashem should protect every man, woman, and child, every Jewish man, woman, and child in our Holy Land and Israel, all over the world. Protect the Sahal, the soldiers on the front lines who are Moisa Nefesh, literally to defend and protect Klal Yisrael. And we should already have Sholem and the ultimate Sholem of the Gula Amitiz Vashlema, being that it's also a week of Podbe Sholem Nafshi, Mitzas Kislev, coming from Yud Kislev. So b'shal b'shalom, pada b'shalom, not just a pedia, but b'shalom. Tarul peace v'nashati shalom ba'aretz. So this program is dedicated to all of that, the protection of each one, and may the, all the hostages be released unscathed. And hinele yonu v'le yishin shem yisrael, especially in the land that is eretz asher eni Hashem lekach ba'al meresh hashan v'ad achrishan. This program is also dedicated. In loving memory of Miriam Basalio, Altis Olavash Allah Sholem, and Emerita Borok bin Yaman ben Menuchalana, Altis, Yikusil ben Leir Rachel, and Rachel Basli Bafarkash, dedicated by Pinchas Tadis ben Miriam and Sarabas Rachel Altis. Okay. So let's begin with where we're at and what we know, and most importantly, this is chassidus applied, applying teira and chassidus to the situations in life that we're facing. And here it's not just a facing a mechamagashmis, a physical war, but also a spiritual one, and a psychological one, an emotional one that's affecting not just the people in the vicinity, the geographic vicinity, but all over the world, and especially in, and not just beruchnis, also begashmis. You see the rise of anti-Semitism, the protests, I mean, everybody's on edge, and everybody's still in a collective and individual shock. But as the Rambam says, when a catastrophe strikes, like one that happened October 7th, it would be insensitive, insensitive and cruel to say it just happened. It's a wake-up call, a time for introspection. Not pointing fingers, not blaming even ourselves, but to look deeper, because why are we here? We're here in this world, because Hashem put us here in this time, so when we witness these things, everything a person sees and hears, and so much more so when it's so dramatic or so painful. So that's the first lesson that we learn from Torah in general, and especially Chesidus, the lessons that we need to take out, and first and foremost, the lesson obviously is, like we read in this week's parsha, Yaakov prepared for war. He prepared, he davened, I should begin, he davened first. He prepared for war, and he prepared a bribe to appease Esau. Thank God he only needed the tefillah and the appeasement. So here, not only prepare for war, we have to go to war. There's no choice. Not because we want to go to war. It's forced upon you. Pure self-defense. Pekoch nefesh. Echmon al So that's 
on the, that's the most, on the most basic level. But as we said, the Mocham is also Ruchani's Dikawan. Each one of us have to be mobilized. The words of the Rambam, our introspection, our Avoidah, strengthening. As we know that ultimately the strength of Eden is not just their military might. Spirit. And that is Teira, Avedig, Mils, Chasadim, the three pillars. And specifically the mitzvahs that have particular features connected to protection, connecting to driving, driving fear in the enemy. Tfilin, as the, as the Gemara says, V'ro kolame oritz v'yorim emeko. V'ro kolame k'shem Hashem nikla lecha v'yorim emeko. The Pesach says, and the Gemara talks about, that this goes on Tfilin Sharosh. That when they'll see it, they'll be afraid. It drives fear. It's a spiritual weapon. Mitzvah v'zdoke. Tatsil, from the opposite of life. Mitzvah v'avaz Yisrael, Achdus Yisrael, unity is always a keli for bracha, especially shalom. Lighting candles that dispel darkness. Chinuch, especially of young children, b'pi'elim v'yenkim, yisadet ha'ez, l'hash b'seivim, m'snakim, as the Rebbe spoke strongly about right before the Yom Kippur War. Mezuzah, Shemer Dalsus Yisrael. But every mitzvah, every mitzvah is a divine power that transforms this world. This, of course, is in addition to all the support that we show to the morale, financial, emotional, to those that are fighting this battle. But as I've been emphasizing week after week, the battle is not just against. The first thing is, yes, you have to stop the bleeding. You have to eliminate, eradicate the enemy completely. That's what Pekoch Nefesh dictates. That's Simashen Chavtas, essentially. A sworn enemy, you have to treat as, a, as an enemy until proven otherwise. And in that sense, what you want is a, a, a total eradication or total sincere surrender a return of all the hostages, eliminating all the calls for the destruction of Jews. Can this happen naturally without a miracle? That can be debated. Some say it can, but regardless, that's why you, you fight a battle, not because you want to fight a battle. Not just because you don't want your own losses. You don't want losses of anyone. But the, when it's forced, it's forced upon us. As I mentioned. So that is the called the classic approach of how Aid fights a Muhammad. The Gashmi's Biruchnis. Yeshua fought Amolek. Moshe is praying. Yeev when Surya went out to Muhammad, David Amalek is praying. There's Muhammad Ruchnis, Muhammad Gashmis, and they're hand in hand. But then come some more key points, and we discuss them as well, and we'll talk about it this week as well as well. And that is that being that the Rebbe told us that we're Mamisha the Saf on the threshold of the Geula, so at the end of the days there will be battles. And we're told there will be battles with Bnei Yishmael. And we've discussed, can we call them Bnei Yishmael? But definitely that region has an association with Yishmael, one way or another. So that adds, what does that add? It doesn't take away from what we still have to do, but it adds an element of betochen, the language of the Yalkut 
Don't be afraid. Everything I'm doing, I'm doing for you. So we need to know that the end story is going to be absolutely beautiful. Yes, caused a lot of pain, a lot of grief. No one's, we're not minimizing it. But that doesn't define us. What defines us is where we're marching toward, not what we're marching against. The wake-up call that this has created in the world, the entire world, Jewish people, like never before, a unity, an eagerness to understand what it means. We've been woken up, unfortunately, by the enemy. What does it mean to be Jewish? Why am I being targeted? What is a Jew? What do they want from us? Why do they hate us? And Jews are turning out in record numbers, wanting to put on film, doing a mitzvah, anything. Touched a nerve. And as the Rebbe spoke in Tavshir Chav Zayin, after the Six-Day War, it was Vahir Bayema, who Yitoka B'Shei Fergadla, wake-up call, that affected Uba Evdim Eretz Ashur and Nedochim Eretz Mitzrayim, all the sugim, all the categories, those lost to assimilation, those downtrodden due to, due to oppression. That's what's required of us. The acceptance and understanding the responsibility and the mission that each Jew was given. Going back to Matan Teda. A special nation that would bring unity, divine unity into this world. Like Avram Avinu, our forefather, began, as we read in these week's cha- we read in these weeks' chapters, the process of revealing revealing godliness in every part of this world through Tayra Mitzvahs and to the spreading of the Sheva Mitzvah, the universal laws, which were also connected to Matan Teda, as the Rambam says, that we have to teach it and inspire it based on the fact that it was given at Sinai. So it's divine laws, the divine laws of civilization that make this world, L'Sheva Sitzada, a worthy place of being a Didibitachtein, a home for the divine in this world. So this wake-up call is now something that you have people, we have people's attention. So it's our job is to do everything possible to utilize it to the fullest. That is part of this mission. So in addition to our own inspiration, in addition to our own families and communities, to reach out. And as I said, you don't even have to reach out. People are reaching to us. When I say us to every person who's in the position, I can speak from my own experience, Unprecedented, the number of people watching, people listening, asking questions. Jews and non-Jews. Yes, and even Christians and Muslims too. Not like some are thinking, oh, they've exposed themselves as the enemy. Let's just gather together and hide under a rock. Yes, there are people who are either ignorant or just plain haters or plain anti-Semites. But there are many that are either confused or are neutral, or don't know, or, or are receptive and are very sympathetic, but they need more information. They need to not just information as in data, but also what to do. So this requires nothing less than a revolution of goodness and kindness. In the words of the Rebbe to CNN, when he said, what is the Rebbe's message to the world? Which in essence, Sadiq Viyashid, 
encompasses all the Sheva Mitzvah Bein Neich, and really encompasses Kol HaTeda Kula, which is Lenit HaTeda, Lashe Shalom to bring peace into this world. The words of Rabbi Akiva, V'ahavta Lecha Kamecha, said, Klal Godl B'Teda, Klal Godl. Hillel said, Zui Kol HaTeda, not to do unto others that you don't want done unto yourself. This is the essence of it. So we have an unprecedented historic wake-up call that we need to respond to. Everyone in our own way. So this is a general overview of where we're at. This is not a place to go over the news updates of every detail. We're going to talk definitely about the hostages that were released. Many questions came in about that and other developments. But overall, Eretz Yisrael has to, be, has to know and be encouraged and recognize themselves that this war has to go till the end. And end is either you eradicate the enemy or totally, as has been announced, or you, or you get absolutely unconditional surrender, and then you dictate the terms. That's how battles are won. Something that Rebbe emphasized time and again, it's actually common sense, but it's also something that the Torah emphasizes. That's what has to happen when you're dealing with Ra, when you're dealing with an enemy. More specifically this week, continue the overviews also to, tonight, tomorrow, is Yudalit Kislev, anniversary, the, the, the 95th anniversary, I should say, of the Rebbe and the Rebetzin, Tafresh Peites. We're now in Tafresh Peidalit, and uh, Yudalit Kislev. It's also this week, is the week of Yutas Kislev. It's coming Shabbos, Chagagoula, Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus. So in usual times, that would be the main emphasis, but being that what's so prominent and so much in our minds is the Matzav HaElam, so a few lessons that we will also discuss from these days, how we can learn from them. Let's start with Yudalit Kislev. Say, what connection is there? Chasen of the Rebbe and the Rebbe's. Well, remember, the big picture is this. When the Ebishter created the world, he created it with that symptom, a concealment. With the Kavona that we should reverse the process and reveal godliness in a concealed world. It's the essence of it all, to make a dira betachtenu. In the language of Kabbalah, and Chassidus brings it and explains it, is to create yichud, a yichud of kuchabricha v'shchinta, which means, before that symptom, everything was hayuhu shmei balvad. Everything was one seamless unity, one seamless divine consciousness. That Simpson concealed it, so it became, so to speak, from the perspective of the recipient, as if there's two consciousness, the divine consciousness and, ex- and the consciousness of existence. In the language of Chassidus, that before that Simpson, what was given was the seamless reality of divinity, nothing else. And the existence of world is a, is a novelty. They used to create it, Breshis, Bora, Yeshmayan, through the Tzimtzum and the whole process. After the Tzimtzum, the consciousness turns around. Elam is Bepshitis. What's a given to us is the world we see. And Alukus is Bishach. So Alukus is like the novelty that needs to be introduced when the truth is the other way around. But that's how it is. 
So there's, a, so to speak, the possibility of seeing two realities. And our goal is Hashem Echad, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, to create unity. That's the whole story in, in a nutshell. Where does that unity express itself? On every possible level. But one place, the microcosm of Yichud Kutche Berichu Vishchint, of Zoh and Malchus in the language of Chassidus and Kabbalah, is the Yichud of Ish V'Ish, a marriage, a Kedushin, a sacred marriage, of Zohar Nekeva Bara Esam, Abishta created them as one, an androgynous being, split into two, split again, like the Tzimtzum split, in order to find each other and reunite. And that's why a chasana is not just a simcha for those individuals, it's a simcha that we talk about, Ganeid Mikedem, and Mehedi Yeshama, and Yetzir Adam. All about recreating the unity as it was when Adam and Chava were created. Especially when you talk about a chasana of a Rebbe, and a Rebbe, which is an Hashem Klolis. So it's not just an individual. Even an individual, as I said, that unity ripples through all of existence. But especially of a Rebbe, and a Rebbe, that would become a Rebbe, in Tavshin Yud. So you can imagine that reflects a profound unity. When you see war, when you see discord, you see conflict, that's all a result of the tzimtzum. So Achasana is meant to counter that. So on Yudal Kislev, we have the power to create that yichud and recreate the yichud. The Rebbe said, in Tovshin Yudalad, which we're talking now 70 years ago, that this is the day, Yudal Kislev, that bound me to you and you to me. Maybe see fruits from our labor, paid us, when Ismat and them Golas basically wear out the Golas and bring the Gaula. So you see, Tsugibun, again, Eskashis. So definitely on a cosmic level, and even on a personal level, a day like this, 95th anniversary, gives special Kreches, firstly to find the unity that we need to find in our lives, individually, and in our own homes and families, Sholem Bayis. And by extension, the yichud that that creates in the entire world. So it's a day of such keiches. Yutis Kislev we'll talk about a little later in the, in the program. That's just an opening regarding since right now, tonight, and today, and tomorrow is Yudal Kislev. And we should see Taka Pedis. Pedis means my Pedim mitzvahs, the mitzvahs that we do. Ela tell the same. Shal Sadikim is what? What's the tell Shal Sadikim? Maisim Tevim, good deeds. The things we learned from the Rebbe, the Heiros, the actions, many of them I mentioned before. So in a sense, Yudal Kisl, the best way to honor it is to be the arms and legs and continue to perpetuate what the Rebbe and the Rebbe represented. We are their children. Vishanantum Levanech Ela Talmidim. The children are the students. Mazari Bechaim Afu Bechaim. That's our role. As the children are alive, so too they live through us. So everything that we have to do today, we look into the Rebbe Sichis, which of course are based on Shulchan Aruch, based on Teireh, based on the Maimonim and the Sichis of the Rabbeim before the Rebbe, all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu Matan Teireh. And we apply it to our lives now regarding the issues we're discussing here. But of course, it applies to every aspect of life. Okay. 
So that's a general overview. It's also the week of Parshas Vayishlach, which we'll discuss as well as we go on in the program. What I'd like to begin with is similar to the structures I've been doing in the previous weeks, the things we talked about, finding strength and direction. We're going to talk about the hostage return um, and other extremely relevant questions that you have sent in and continue to send in. It's hard to keep up, to be honest, but I'm trying to consolidate and a lot of topics. Hopefully I can cover some more and really make it through and really address the issues that are on all of our minds and hearts. And I continue to encourage and please send in all your questions and comments at michsidasupply.com. There's a forum there, completely anonymous and confidential, that you can submit any question. Nothing's taboo, nothing's off limits. You can also find the previous programs and other resources there. I should already mention that we also have created a special page right beginning after October 7th, after Yom Tov, on MeaningfulLife.com forward slash War in Israel, where it's constantly being updated literally daily with new videos and new articles and new materials that address every topic. There's actually a section there called Topics, you can find by a list of table of contents of different categories, trying to address the entire spectrum of issues that are being that are, are rising, in in context of the war and context of everything surrounding it. Okay, so with that, let us go to some general questions and then more specific ones. Let's start with strength and direction. So someone asked the question. What are some practical steps we can take to change our daily mindset from the negativity of Golis to the positivity of Geulah so that we can actualize the Geulah and make it the reality? Of course, this applies specifically to our time right now because uh, even though it's a general question for all times, but especially when you see losses, you see the unknowns, and the confusion and the doubts, and you have an enemy that you're dealing with, sometimes very difficult to stay positive. So let me read another. So let me read another question and answer them both. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I was part of the beautiful rally for Israel in D.C. I felt so much love and unity there. Since it's been over, I noticed I'm feeling despair. The rest of the world just doesn't seem to understand why Israel is in this war. I watched on CBS News as a reporter interviewed a top official of Hamas. She asked him what he wanted. He answered his answer, freedom. I was appalled. That man is a terrorist. Please help me find strength and hope again. Thank you. So let's take one at a time, but it's a similar, similar spirit. There are many other questions that come in both in writing and as well also verbally, that uh, and, and it's not so easy, you know. Betachin is not always an easy uh, process. We try our best, but it's not always that easy. So there is the betachin shebelev, so to speak, which is a mindset, as you put it, or a heart set. And that is, when a person wakes up in the morning and says, Moida'ani, and focuses that Hashem is giving you life, and you're acknowledging it with gratitude, and you say the brachas, and you daven properly, and you learn, you know, this before davening, 
after davening, the tzedakah you give during davening and before davening, afterwards. And in general, you go into a day driven by the mission for which we were created, which is to make a dira b'tachtenim. So in general, that just puts your mind that your focus is on your mission, not on the immediate news and not even on the negative things that are happening. So that's a general, the general preemptive approach. Now, of course, practically speaking, it's not that easy because then when you hear what's happening, it's human nature, you're intrigued by it, and then you start saying, oi, look at this, this loss. I see a 20-year-old, God forbid, soldier has fallen. So it's inevitable it's going to bring us down. But that is why the more you arm yourself, and I'm using that word deliberately, the more you arm yourself with the arsenal of spiritual weapons, which means the things that you do that are connected to fulfilling your mission in this world, namely, I was created in order to serve, or which is even stronger. I wasn't created for anything else but to serve. That, in general, gives you an alternative. So you have something to focus on. If you don't focus on that, then the only thing you are like a ship at sea being pulled out to all the storms, the ravaging and raging storms, of the news, of the events, without a type of uh, grounding, an anchor. That's why it's so critical to have these anchors. And the more you have them, the more you can hold on to them for your dear life. You know, think of a storm. You have to have something to hold on to or else you're going to be just swept away. So that's in general terms the approach. But it goes further than that. The more you focus on that there's a God that created it all, and even if you don't know the answers to why they're suffering, why this pain, and why this happened, but there's a God. And that God is Ani Hashem Leishanisi, or Bnei Yisrael Leichalisa. We see the Jewish people are here, Am Yisrael Chai, for thousands of years. So it gives you, it's not just a pure abstract of faith, there's real evidence that we've gone through so much, and look. So that additionally strengthens. Then when you take into account, and that's what we talk about, it's not just nice medrash, that there is a, we're marching toward Geula, and sometimes the last steps are difficult. It brings out Yisparavi, Slabna, Dvorim, some of the darkness emerges, some of the darkest darkness. <clears throat> but you know we're going toward a destination, and you're not alone. It's another point. You go with entire Jewish people, and not just of this generation, but all generations. We're standing on the shoulders of giants before us. It's an accumulative process, a marathon, an unbroken chain, passed on the baton from generation to generation, these are things that give strength. And even on a very military level, you think it's easy for a person to be on the front lines and have to face an enemy and unknowns, and yet you see there's a morale, there's a certain strength, it comes from leaders, it comes from each other, but it comes from Amun Pshuta. You ask many soldiers, you see the beautiful videos, those touching videos. It's not just that they're being religious, they're praying to God to protect them. It's actually a source of strength. Hashem Eiz Lamiyitin. It's called Eiz, strength. Yisad to Eiz. It's a form of strength that helps the spirit of a person, which is critical. Because you can have all the weapons in the world, you can be superior to your enemy, but if you don't have the spirit, if you don't have the willpower, you don't have the conviction and the clarity and that fortitude, maybe likely, God forbid, you will not be able to prevail. So all this comes together to add up to an attitude. Always being around people that have this approach gives 
tremendous confidence. Being around people who are cringing and wringing their hands and feeling desperate or hopeless does not usually help. Our job is to be the first category and also help others in that way. So these are some of the methods. I would add something I always focus on. It's in the same spirit. Find your particular mission in this war. Make sure every day you send out a bunch of emails or texts or social media to people with inspiration, with heartwarming words, a story, a video. Be on the offense and you'll be less on the defense. Best defense is offense. So find something specific that you're doing that you're committed to. And the more you commit to it, the less aggravation, the less despair, the less negativity will enter. That's the rule. A little light dispels much darkness, especially a lot of light. But it's not just a cliche. It means simply be focused on being a light bearer. We're here, we're day workers. We're here to bring light to the world. There's darkness, so we need more light. That attitude is the attitude of a winner that forges ahead and overcomes the storms and ultimately prevails until we transform it all into a true Gula world beginning with the Gula Pratis within ourselves. So that answers both questions. You can apply it more specifically, each one in their own way. <clears throat> so regarding the first question, the mindset, understanding we're in the process going to Gula, which is Gilead Lakus, and that's through our Bimagala, through our lives, and our lives, and through our lives, godliness around us. And as far as the second question is being with others and strengthening yourself in all the ways that we just discussed. Okay. So now, a whole bunch of questions came in regarding the hostage returns and exchanges. So let me read some of them and try to respond the best possible way. The first question, of course, is, is this the correct thing, correct approach? Would the Rebbe have been in favor of exchanging terrorists for the Jewish hostages? That's a, that's a specific question. But the question is also, just in general, is this the right approach to be negotiating with your enemy while you're fighting? And giving them giving into some things, a ceasefire they want, not to use drones. So what should be the general attitude? And of course it's complicated because you're dealing with hostages, innocent men, women, and children, and whose heart does not go out to them. So what do you do in a situation like this? Now it's important to emphasize we're not here to second guess what Israel has done. They made their decision. They didn't ask us. They have their cheshbenes. Whether you agree or not, we have to support the effort in every possible way, even if what they may have done is not the right thing to do. But it's, and secondly, we have to also be sensitive to the fact that we do celebrate every person. You know, Pidgin Shreem is one of the biggest mitzvahs, especially when you see children and mothers and young people. I mean, anyone. So you cannot help but celebrate the fact that they've been released. Unfortunately, there's another 200 or whatever the number is that have not been. But that doesn't take away. 
But that is independent of the question around the war strategy. Is what do you do in a situation like this? Do you give in anything just to get those hostages out? That's the question. So let's let's phrase the question in more detail, and then I'll address it. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I just watched a video of the motorcade of the first group of released hostages entering back into Israel and saw thousands of Israelis lining the streets, waving Israeli flags and singing Am Yisrael and cheering for them and welcoming them back. It's so beautiful to see the Avis Yisrael we Jews have for each other. To a simple person like me, it's so obvious that there's such a huge revelation of Hashem's positive energy during these times and it's clear that Mashiach cannot ignore it and that this is a perfect time for him to come. I guarantee that as the last group of hostages return safely to Israel, Mashiach himself will be walking, waiting to greet them and share them on as their motorcade passes and may it be Hashem's will that it happen very soon. Amen. And I think we all share the sentiments, as I just said, when a life is saved, especially in such horrendous circumstances, is something to thank God for. That's on the individual level of these people and their families and for all of us. Then there's the other side of the coin. And I say the other side of the coin again, I don't want to take away from this Hatzalah. And yes, we absolutely pray that all the hostages should be released. But we're dealing here with still an enemy that has done what they did and are saying they'll do it again. And they're not obliterated. It's not like they surrendered and gave up the hostages. It was part of a discussion, a negotiation. So that brings us to the next question. Would the Rebbe have been in favor of exchanging terrorists for the Jewish people or hostages? It seems like this is a spiritual battle as well. Christian missionaries are sending out innocent-looking videos that appear on Jewish WhatsApp groups. A pastor spoke at the White House in front of 300,000 Jewish people and even more online. It seems like they're attacking Jews spiritually. We must reach out to every Jew. Please comment. Okay, this is two separate questions, which I really should have separated. But I read them, they all came from the same person. But let's focus on the hostages, then we'll talk about the other issues. Rav Simon, what does the Rebbe say about getting back captured in exchange for the release of terrorists? Rachav Okay. So... There are two sikhs, mainly Mitzvah Shabbos Pasha Bamidbor, Tavshin Lamates, or B1979. And there is a sikh, Zeis Chanukah, Tavshin Memvov, where the Rebbe briefly talks about it, but talks in general about the whole Masavin as Israel. So they're definitely both worth looking at. There the Rebbe talks and speaks about, number one, that yes, Pidyan Shvoim is a big mitzvah, saving one person is a big thing. And the Rebbe says, but that's a halacha question. That's a halacha question. And halacha indeed, there are issues with that. As much as it's a big mitzvah, there are conditions. What happens if the people who kidnapped that hostage, Rahman al-Sana, are asking for an exorbitant amount of money that the community does not have? How far do you have to go? And what happens when the issue that they will see this as emboldening them to do it again. They see, oh, they're paying for hostages. So that's an incentive to take more hostages. 
So that's why they're on halacha issues with this issue. This doesn't take away again after the fact that somebody was saved, they were saved. But before the fact. But the most important thing the Rebbe addresses there, he says that's halacha question. There's another question here. We're not just talking about hostage and you're paying a ransom. You're returning people who may be terrorists. So in this case, I know people will say they were only returned women and children that were arrested. But number one is, why were they arrested? Was it just a misdemeanor? And number two, we see that the policy was that hostages have been returned for terrorists. Actually, the head of Hamas today was once a prisoner in Israel and was returned in one of these exchanges. A thousand for for Shalit. So here's another question here, which is not just a matter of, okay, how much do you pay and, and will you incentivize them? It's a question also, you're putting more people in danger. So you saved a life, but that person is very likely, and it says he's, he's going to attack again, and the Rebbe brings that there. So the Rebbe said they try to keep it a secret. The bottom line is, from a strategic point of view, and even from a logic point of view, you have another issue here, which is you're putting more people in danger. But the halach here is one aspect of it. There's also the whole general picture here. The general picture here, as the Rebbe says in that sikh, he says, the problem, he says, is the whole attitude. The whole attitude is one that's the opposite of Eilech Eskim Kemimiyas. Kemimiyas means walking with pride. With pride means you're fighting a war, you're confident in your cause and your moral conviction, you know why you're fighting the war because of what happened October 7th. You know what the enemy wants. And you called for their eradication, which makes total sense, unless there's total unconditional surrender. So why you not continue with that approach? So it's true, the hostages are a big issue. But at the end of the day, is that something you should take into account? Because what happens now? The momentum of the forward progress is slowed down, there's a ceasefire. What do you think the enemy's going to do now? They're going to dangle more hostages. As we said, they now see, oh, you respond to that. There was once a time, as the Rebbe speaks there in that sikha, that Israel said we don't negotiate with terrorists by principle, even for small matters, let alone for, other pe- for, for, for returning uh, others, and, no, and, and three for one, or ten for one, or whatever the numbers are. Because you don't want them to feel that you're giving them. Imagine World War II. This is my example. The Rebbe doesn't bring this. Berlin is being bombed. It's clear the Allies are, are, are winning. And the Germans suddenly say, you know what? If you make a ceasefire, we'll give you 100 or 1,000 Jews from a concentration camp. We'll free them. <laughs> Not to mention, of course, that there are thousands of others. What, what do you think the Allies would do? They'd say, okay, let's save those people. Of course you want to save the people. That's why this is so sensitive. I don't want to in any way, God forbid, minimize their lives. But there's a bigger picture here. And unfortunately, unfortunately, there are lives that are lost, sometimes innocent lives. Here you could add even something more, and I'm again not a military strategist. Hamas, the enemy, is invested to make sure these hostages don't get killed. They'd rather, they don't mind their own civilians getting killed, ironically. Because what do they have from a dead hostage, God forbid? That's the only leverage they have. So they're protecting them 
because it's the only thing that will protect that protects that they're protecting the hostages because it's protecting them. Now, of course, we know we know what they're capable of doing. We know what they've done. They can kill in the worst possible way. And I don't What you really want in a strategy in a battle like this, the enemy has to be on their knees. They should be begging. I'm surrendering. I'm returning all the hostages to you. You didn't get them all. So now the pressure is going to be of getting the other hostages. And the same argument. Why are those hostages are less important than those? Because they were children. I understand. So I'm not suggesting there's an easy way out and there's one perfect solution. It's, it's essentially choosing from two, two, of the, two evils. So the Zebra's general approach was you're fighting a war, you have to fight a war. I, we have to have Rahmanas and Hashas absolutely intelligence and do everything possible to save them. But you have to remember there's also more going on here. I mean, the point of, of being appeasing and letting down your guard and letting a whole infrastructure to be built right under your home is itself a sign of a certain lack of that fortitude. But it's critical, and I want to emphasize this. The point here is not to criticize Israel and criticize. We're discussing it as an attitude. The question was asked, what would the Rebbe's approach be? And the Rebbe wanted Israel to change its policy. Meaning it's not something we should go and impose ourselves. It's not for demonstrations and it's not to oppose it. The point is to educate and try to inspire the government to feel this way. Now we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. So that's a given. That's why I don't want to say this in a way this should be the strategy. But you're asking the general approach of the Rebbe is that approach. Strength. Yes, sometimes war brings peace when you're dealing with a true enemy. Germany had to be completely destroyed, unconditional surrender as the Japanese, and then there was real peace. And today they were rebuilt, they've been rebuilt, and they live, they live peacefully with, with the United States, with the Allies, with Israel. Were their prices paid? Of course, many, many people died, unfortunately. Terribly. So that's the general approach, and as I said, I, I shared which seekers to look at. So there's a lot of aspects here. There's the exchange of the hostages, which is an issue halachically as well as, uh, as, as well as strategically. And then there's the bigger issue, where this is leading to, what's going to happen now. And if Israel goes full force ahead, what do you think? They're not going to use the hostages to try to stop that? They'll do anything to protect themselves. I'm talking about the enemy. And now there is something on the table. Another thing that I must mention that infuriates me, to be very frank, is the idea that instead of the world calling, Hamas did a terrible crime, atrocities. They took innocent hostages in addition to those atrocities. The call should be, return all the hostages. Why is this like become now, oh, they're doing us a favor. We have to like thank them that they're coming to the table to return the hostages as if returning the hostage is a gift. It was a crime in the worst possible way. But you don't hear that. And that's a really sad situation that creates a whole different, like, distorted standards here. And that was also something that Rebbe battled. Because something is lacking. You have to feel you are the winner. You are standing up for the right and the truth. There's nothing true about the other side. There's nothing to negotiate here. They're killers. They call for killing. They've done it. And they're saying they'll do it again. And they have hostages right now. What needs to be called is ultimate total surrender or total eradication. 
That is the emphasis. That is the best way I can convey what I understand from the Rebbe's approach, which, as I say, the Rebbe, is not just invoking the Rebbe, the Rebbe spoke al Pisechel, al meaning al which all comes together. I mean, you have Chochmah, Bagoim, Tamim, but there's also Teda, and you need both. And when you take them both together, you get a, a, a clearer picture of the whole situation. Okay. So another few questions around that. Let's just talk about that. Are the small groups of hostages slowly returning to Israel a microcosm of the future in gathering of the exiles? Every time a Jew is saved, there's some form of geula, yes. But it's hard to say it in this context because there are other hostages, and as I just elaborated, there's a war. I'm reading the question because you asked it, but I think you have to also put things into context. If all the hostages were released, even that, so back to square one. It's not like, you know, we're talking about here people who are mamish in danger. In general, the Rebbe spoke that when Jew Bichlal returned to Israel, whether it was from the Soviet Union or other places, is a form of a beginning of Kibbutz Goliath, or a sign of it, a beginning signs of it. But that's as much as I would say. I wouldn't, I wouldn't associate Kibbutz Goliath with the release of these hostages, because we are leaning a lot more at this point. Okay. Can we compare Hamas to Pare in their persistent shifting positions regarding releasing the hostages? In yeshiva, I was taught all the miracles that happened during Yeshiva's Messiah will happen again, during Gulas Mashiach, but on an even grander scale. Another clue that history is repeating itself is when Pare played games and, say, and said, I will let your people go, and then kept changing his mind and saying he won't let us go. And then he finally let us go, we know the, and we know the next step was Gulas Mitzrayim. Yesterday, the Hamas terrorists were playing the same games of psychological torture by saying they will let 13 hostages go. Then they kept changing their mind, saying they won't let them go. Finally, they let them go. So if we, so if we recognize the patterns, we know the next step is Gulas Mashiach. Well, we hope so. And we believe so. But I don't know about this association. As I said, I'm being very cautious and careful not to make these comparisons too literal because as I said, there's a middle of a war right now and I think we have to keep focus on the bigger picture here. Yes, as I said, the celebration of the, those released and their families we all share with. But, you know, Pari, the Gulas Mitzrayim, yes, Pari was ultimately forced and he gave up. That's what we're hoping for. So that's where I would make the comparison. I wouldn't start making the comparison to every detail because I don't want to give Hamas even that, uh, that to credence. You know, would be, yes, that they give up all the hostages and they surrender completely or are completely destroyed, then we have, you can make the comparison to uh, Pari. But beyond that, I don't know, Pari is not Hamas, and uh, are there similarities? You could always find similarities in every battle. But that's as far as I would go. Okay. But I do appreciate that people are thinking about the Gula even in these darkest uh, events. And trying to find it. So that is beautiful to see. And we should continue thinking that way. Next question, which is in the same spirit. How to ensure that a war brings peace? Only through strength. A war is, 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 is what we don't want. But when you are fighting a war, you don't fight a half war. 
you have to have goals and meet those goals. Either eradication of the, of the enemy, especially the enemy that provoked this in the first place, or total, as I said, unconditional surrender on your terms, on the winner's terms. This is something that the Rebbe emphasized all the years. And this maybe is the crux, like I said before, the lack of the kemamirs, of, of standing strong without conviction. Remember, most wars are lost on psychological terms. It's not lost necessarily in the battlefield. If the enemy can weaken your resolve and your commitment, that's, that's, that's even worse than losing a physical battle, a military battle. So that's the answer. That's how war brings peace. I'll be speaking more about this throughout the week, the different programs and classes that we do, which again, as I said, go to MeaningfulLife.com. We have a calendar of events, and the themes are around topics. So one of the focuses is about this, about war and peace. And um, you know, ceasefire is a very interesting word, but not every ceasefire brings peace. If the enemy can, remains an enemy and wants to kill you, just because you stop shooting doesn't mean they don't want to kill you. So things have to be done with, uh, again, context. Okay. Let's now go to Yutas Kislev and then to the Parsha. What can we learn from Yutas Kislev during this time of war? So the truth is, I spoke about this literally last week, what can we learn from Yud Kislev? And honestly, I would say the same thing. So I'm not going to repeat everything I said. I just refer you back to last week's program, but I will say briefly. Yutas Kislev was in Tovkuf Nuntes, but later, Tovkuf Ayin Gimel, the year of the Istalkus of the Alter Rebbe, we know the Istalkus came, part, part result of running away from Napoleon, who the Alter Rebbe opposed, and prevailed that Alexander should win the war. But they say the Alter Rebbe lost years because of that, of, because of his victory to make sure Napoleon loses. The Alter Rebbe would have lived longer had that not happened. It says in different places. So you see, the Alter Rebbe was not just teaching chassidus. I say just, it's not the right word. But Teirah chassidus is also global. Teirah chassidus came to change the world. Called Bidr HaOmis, the refinement of the nations. And the Alter Rebbe at the time felt and realized that the Eden were not ready to go into the Western world because of the challenges that freedom would provide. So it was still a time of that even though physically they were more oppressed under Alexander of Russia, but spiritually they'd be more intact. But then the Rebbe says seven generations later, now we are ready. Which of course is the story of this week's Pasha, Yaakov and Esav. Which we'll talk about shortly. So the Yutas Kislev, which is Chaga Gu'ula, and the Gu'ula in the form of Padre V'Sholem Nafshi, and the Rosh Hashanah of Chassidus, was captured in the story that happened in the Russo-Franco War in 1812. Because Chassidus comes to change the world. And that's why when Alter Rebbe was released to Yutas Kislev, we see in his letter that he writes to Rabbi Yisrael he says, you see, and the and all the nations saw, and the ministers saw, open miracles. And the Rebbe asked a big question in the early Mems, Mem Beis, Mem Gimel, Mem Dalad, Yutas Kislev, why, of all things, Yutas Kislev was a ghoul of the Alta Rebbe, a ghoul of Chassidus, a ghoul of Teirah, a ghoul of Atzadik. What's Negei here that, that the nations were impressed? Why do we care about the nations here? 
She said, because the whole point of Tainach is to transform the nations. Yitas Kisuf was a Netzachan absolutely for Eden and for Tainach Siddhis, but it was also Netzachan with the purpose of Tainach, Birra Elam. So when they see it, it affects them. That means it's fulfilling the mission. This was the time when the Rebbe began strongly in, those, in the Mems talking about Sheva Mitzvah which, as I mentioned before, now is that wake up call. So here, when we're coming to Amul going on in Eretz Yisrael, in Gaza, in that whole area, so every Mulchama is connected, and we're looking for a Geula, a Padabashalim Nafshi, with Shalom. So Tainach Siddhis comes into play because Tainach Siddhis, his purpose is to win these battles in a peaceful way, or whatever way, in a peaceful way. And when you need to fight a physical war, it's a physical war. And the goal is, again, not just to eradicate the enemy, not just the Altar to get out of prison, but that the nation should recognize the significance of this Nitzachan. The Nitzachan of Eden, of Elikus, of godliness, of what Abishta wants in this world, of Eretz HaKedosh, Kedusha, to all the people. Shittas Kislev's message is very direct. And our learning Tate and our learning Exodus is meant to be not just for a select group, it's for the entire world. And there will no longer be evil and destruction because the whole world. As the Rambam says, which clearly means all the nations of the world. Including Muslims, including Christians, including Buddhists, including everybody. But Eden, he talks about that the Yisrael will be chachomim, as he describes there. But this is meant the transformation of the world, and that's what Chassidus came to be. So Yitzchak Kislev has a direct connection. So this let's segue into Pasha Vayishlach. So in the Sikhs of the Friedrich Rebbe, the Rebbe brings it in the Sikhs of Vayishlach, of Pasha Vayishlach. Yitzchak Kislev always comes out in Pasha Vayishlach. He says. Now, Pasha Vayishlach is the story of Birur of Tehu, because Esav represents Tehu, as the Alter Rebbe explains in Tehu Er, the Birur of the physical world, Ishmael Chama, Yehidit Sayed. So he says in the Sikhs that Yutas Kisl came to be Mavara the Eris, the Var Elam So, what's the story we find in this week's Pasha? Yaakov and Esav, that began in Pasha Teldis. It's two nations, which is essentially Malchus Edem, Esau is Edem, the Western world, the Roman world, the Christian world. And Yaakov, his twin brother, Ishtam Yeshevaholim, the battle between the Nefesh Alikis and Nefesh Abam is the divine soul and the animal soul, the battle between the two nations in a cosmic and a broad level that have been going on for thousands of years. Then Yaakov escapes. Esav's wrath, gets married, builds a family in, in Choron, as we discussed in Pasha Vayetze. Now he comes back, Vayishlach Yaakov Malachim, he wants to know, Vuhalt Esav, where's Esav holding? The Rebbe brings and emphasizes that Yaakov thought that maybe Esav was already refined and we're ready to go to the Gula. ready to go to the Gula. Vayishlach Tov Shemem Zayin, especially, the Rebbe talks about it at length, relatively. But then, when they come back and they say that he's walking with 400, that Esav is marching with 400 men, 
he realizes he's not ready yet. You can imagine the disappointment. He thought after the Birurim he did with Lovan, after the time, the 20 years that passed, but well, wasn't ready yet. So that's when he prepares to Davin, prepares for war, and prepares a bribe and appease to appease him. And he ultimately succeeds with the tefillah and the appeasement. Story continues. That night he moves over his whole family over the river, goes back for the Pachin Ketanim, because he's going back to the last sparks on his end. And he meets the angel, the Malach, the Malach of Esav, the son of Esav. Very cryptic, mysterious man that they wrestle all night until the morning. And the wrestling angel cannot prevail over Yaakov. What he does is he displaces his hip socket. And that's why we don't need Gidda Nosha, as the post says. Yaakov would not let him go. The angel says, I have to go. It's in the morning. No, bless me first. And that's when he blesses Yaakov that your name will no longer be Yaakov, be Yisrael. You battled people and Elikim, an angel of God, and you've prevailed. With many interpretations in that itself. Then he finally meets Esau, and they do indeed embrace the two opinions, complete embrace, not complete. But there was an embrace even at that moment that Esau was not yet ready for Gula, but he did embrace. And then he says to Yaakov, so now let's together, let's lift side by side, let's come with me. And Yaakov says, no, no, no. The sheep are too tender, the children are too weak and young. You go ahead, I'll come slowly. And Rashi explains, what does that mean? He says, he will ultimately come, when Mashiach comes, That's the story in brief. So of course, if you think about it, it's the story of our times. <coughs> Alter Rebbe opposed France, Sarfas, which was Edom. That was a threat, even though Russia was also Edom. That's another discussion, but definitely that Edom was a threat. And then the Rebbe says in Vayesh of Tavshun and Beis, after seven generations, we're ready now. We're ready to embrace. We're ready to transform the world. So the Medrash Lekachtev says, what was the wrestling? That all night. So it says that's the wrestling that we didn't go through all of Golis, the night of Golis, until the morning when the Gaula comes. The Ramban says that that wrestling and then the, the hip displacement is the displacement and the pain suffered by all Sadiqim through generations, through the generations, all the Yisurim that Eden would endure was all a result. That was the wound. He could not prevail over Yaakov, win over him, but he wounded him. And the end of the story is that Gaula will come and Esau will be transformed. So even though it's not talking about Yishmol, but we know from the Maimorim that the Birur, the last Birurim, in the Maimor of Tafri Samaches, Pesach Maimorim, and Tafshin Tes, from the Fidika Rebbe, that the last Birurim will be, and many other places, Esau and Yishmol. So in general, it's both of them. And it'll be, ultimately, will be Gaula. V'hoysel Hashem Amlucha. Amlucha. Hashem. Which includes Esav and Magdil Zuremi as the Rashi, the last Rashi in this parsha talks about, and includes Yishmol in the broad sense as well. That they'll all be Nizbarer. That's called Bira Umes. Oz Epechalamim Sofa Bruder, as the Rambam also brings the Pasuk from Svanya. So we see here how the parsha 
is talking about events of our times, with the end, of course, being a beautiful end. So, so just to read a few questions around this more specifically, once I gave this overview, it says like this, let's read like this. How does the Torah story of Yaakov and Esau's reunion help understand today's events? Well, I just explained that in detail. It explains it in the general context of the battles, and what will be at the end of the story. If the wrestling match between Yaakov and Esau's angel represents a spiritual battle between good and evil, could it be said that during today's war, there's a simultaneous spiritual battle occurring between Netanyahu and the angel of Hamas? I wouldn't necessarily say Netanyahu, I would say Klal Yisrael. Yeah, that is exactly correct. I don't know if it's the angel of Hamas, but it's definitely Hamas, and everything it represents, as we just discussed, the wrestling. But then the story is Yisrael. So he says, so what is the significance of Yaakov changing his name, Yaakov's name being changed to Yisrael? And the, our country being called Eretz Yisrael instead of Eretz, Eretz Yaakov. Exactly that. That's the power of Eid. We hope it shouldn't come through battle, but if it has to come through wrestling, it comes through wrestling. And who gives us the name? It's actually coming from the enemy. The ultimate is Now what we want now is the full healing of the rib, of the dislocated hip, I should say. And and, and we want, um, and we want, well, it says Yerach Yaakov, sometimes it says hip, it, sometimes it says uh, rib. But we want the total geula, and it should be the Aleisa Shach in the morning, and that's the geula, like the Medr says. Okay. So with that, we t- cover the Parsha. Um, there's a few more questions on the Parsha. Just looking at what I'm covering, what I'm not covering. So, let's just do this. A note has been going around social media that says the IDF on a mission in Gaza, recovered the body of a woman named Yehudis from Kibbutz Be'eri. Be'eri. And it's being shared with a Apostolic from Bereshit 26.34 that says, Esav took a wife named Yehudis, a daughter of Be'eri. Be'eri. I'm not sure if this is just a coincidence or a prophecy, but my understanding is the descendants of Esav became Rome, and the Western world and the de- and the Western world and the descendants of Ishmael became the Arabs, including those in Gaza, that did the cat- kidnappings on October seventh. So I'm not sure whether Asa fits into the current situation. Can we ask Rabbi Jacobson for his intuition on what this pasuk could mean in today's situation? Thank you. Well, in general, to find connections between names of people today in the parsha, you know, if I heard it straight from the Rebbe, it's one thing. If not. I would stay away from too much specifics. The general picture, yeah. You know, there's a remez, so it's interesting to note, and that's thank you for pointing it out. I'm not sure what we can learn from it. You know, it's, it's a tragic situation if she was indeed found um, killed, God forbid. But it goes back to the general lesson: this that the story then is the story today. The events that happened then, Maisa of a similar in a way, it foretells what will happen. 
where the key thing is to emphasize what we should be doing about it in a positive way, through adding in our mitzvahs and adding in light and transforming the world and transforming Esau. But I would stay away from too specific because that becomes sensational, it becomes, and who's to say, you know, there's, I mean, you could always fit things into everything. Yep, that has to be said by a true authority. They're going to make such connections. And finally, someone writes, can we learn a lesson from Shimon and Levi to guide us what to do in Gaza? The Torah says the prince of Shechem violated Dina, but Shimon and Levi didn't just bring the prince of Shechem to justice, they killed every male civilian in the town of Shechem. We know that the Hamas terrorists committed the massacre, but we also have a video of civilians in Gaza making a parade and cheering for them as they returned to Gaza City October 7th. Perhaps Shimon and Levi were teaching us a lesson that not only the perpetrators need to face justice, but those who support and cheer them on also need to face the sword, the sword of iron. iron. Well, again, can you learn a general lesson that you have to sometimes go to war? Yes. But we also know Shimon and Levi were aggressive and somewhat criticized, even though what they did was at the end of the story correct. So I don't know if we could just say take that and lift it and say that's what applies today. That needs to be done through military strategists and no one's interested in killing civilians, innocent people, if there is such a thing. The interest is to win this battle against all the enemies. It could be all the people in Shechem are guilty. It could be many people are guilty in, 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 uh, in Gaza. But I think this is more than just looking at the lesson and saying, okay, go kill everybody in Gaza two million people because Shimon Levi killed everybody in Shechem. So you have to do what you have to do. Hopefully, as I said, we can get them to surrender completely and true surrender and eliminate that. The same goal, as you, the same accomplishment as if you would eradicate them and anyone that supports them. You know, many civilians in Germany may have been innocent directly. It was a minority that controlled, but it was the Nazis that came to power and were elected. But as a fact, they took hostage of the entire country. So I'm sure some innocent Germans were killed. Many were not so innocent. They were complicit in their silence in other ways. It's hard to say. We don't know every person what they did. God knows. So that's how I would look, about, look at it. But we are told the story because it's all told at times you need to do what you have to do, as painful as it may be. You can't just be passive in the face of crimes like this especially by people who are saying they're going to do it again. Okay. Again, I feel frustrated that I cannot really address everything that was asked. Just time runs out. And new questions keep coming in. So what I say is that we will continue this discussion. Hopefully we don't have to, because this will be over the Ebesher Shav Rachmanus already, and Klal Yisrael and every Jew and this should come to an end, and we should march to the Gula even before Yudalit Kislev, even before the conclusion of Yudalit Kislev, and uh, in a shalom dik way, shalom nafshi, in a peaceful way, with the release of all the hostages, unscathed, and bechlal, as I said, march to the Gula, enough is enough. But meanwhile, we have to do what we have to do, that's also part of what the Ebershta gave us Kechus to do. May it be in the most peaceful way, may it be with the least amount of pain and aggravation. And may we all have a real Chedesh HaGu'ula. This has been My Life Chesedah Supplied. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. And uh, everyone be 
well and healthy. And may continue everywhere in the world, especially in Eretz HaKedush. This program is brought to you by My Life, Hasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at hasidusapplied.com slash donate.